Welcome to The Lens with me, Ollie Barrett. The Lens is a business in the community podcast, powered by Fujitsu and supported by McCann. My guests today are Julie Baker, who's head of enterprise and community finance at one of Britain's best-known banks, NatWest. My second guest is Izzy Obeng. She's the founding director of a very interesting startup indeed called Foundervine. We're going to talk about confidence, why it matters and how to boost it. I'll ask both guests why so few female founders are receiving the funding they need to succeed and to get started in the first place. And although many guests mention mentors on the lens, today we'll talk about how to get one. Let's get to the conversation. Izzy, Judy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon. Now, I thought I was connecting you for the first time today. It turns out I think you've met before. Indeed. Pure coincidence. Uh, we were at the same table last Friday at the Win Trade Awards. We were. Now, what's Win Trade Awards? I've, I've seen this on Twitter. What's that all about then? So, Win Trade is an award um, for women in international trade, but also across the, uh, the continent, the globe, uh, and it's a network celebrating the achievements, not just of female entrepreneurs, but all women. And it connects them and brings them together. It was a really exciting evening, wasn't it? And really lovely to see lots of new faces because we're really used to the British sort of success stories. But to hear some others shared from uh, other parts of the world was uh, really good. And it's good to see a very community, um, sort of a a connected ecosystem. Um, And I guess that's one of the tricks, isn't it, to make it even more inclusive is he i mean uh, absolutely i mean i'm going to ask your advice but uh, <laughs> uh, quite unusual to have a big event like that on a friday i think in a way is it yes i was knackered afterwards <laughs> but it was a lot of fun well i want to hear about your story is he because um well in no particular order um why don't you tell us uh, where you first got started? Because I know Foundervine is relatively recent, the last year or so, but what was your first ever job? My first ever job was as a Saturday intern at the Observer newspaper. Crikey, well, that's notoriously tough to yes. even get in. Any advice for budding interns out there? Yeah, so I uh, was connected to the role by the Social Mobility Foundation yep. um, and their fantastic organisation that support young people from um, you know less privileged backgrounds yep. and getting into into the media, into politics, into business. Um, and they connected me to a brilliant uh, mentor as well as got me a role at The Guardian and Observer. So it was fantastic. Fantastic. And your studies were at Bristol University. That was yes. politics. On to Edinburgh, Napier. I think that was more an MA. Yes, it was a KPMG-sponsored um, MSc in uh human resource management. <laughs> yeah, and indeed, that's where I think your first career steps were taken, KPMG, yes. one of the big four. I think you spent about three years there. If it's not too blunt a question, why was it time to move on and what was the best thing that happened that you took from it as a chapter? Good question. So um, I, my time at KPMG was fantastic in terms of uh, learning the ropes in consulting and supporting businesses to grow. Uh, I don't think I'm naturally corporate (laughs) and um, I uh, had the opportunity um, in the last year I was there to do a TEDx talk on the future of entrepreneurship Um, and it was there that my passion for supporting entrepreneurs um, um, in particular uh, entrepreneurs who were less represented in the startup ecosystem grew so that set off a series of events that ended up with me 
packing it, packing it in and um, starting a new venture. I see. And that indeed was Founder Vine. Yes. OK, well, two very quick things, because I have to say, Julie Baker doesn't strike me as very corporate at all either. And that's not an insult. Um, <laughs> so I wonder what you mean when you say you, don't, you weren't very corporate, because I tell you, um, it, it, it's, an, it's an interesting choice of words. Yeah, so um, I, I don't know exactly what I mean. I think I'm, I'm a bit more uh, relaxed and sort of maybe a bit more rough and ready in terms of my approach, yeah. and so uh, much better suited to the um, crazy world of startups than to Canary Wharf. Indeed, and actually, <laughs> it's it's occurring to me as you speak that Julie, you, in, in a way, you're a translator, aren't you, between very different worlds? Oh, totally. And I'm listening to Izzy, thinking, um, you know, supporting entrepreneurs, rough and ready, not corporate. And I think there are times I could describe myself like that too. Yeah. Um, certainly, I'm not the typical corporate banker. Yeah. Uh, but um, you know, it's absolutely fabulous in this day and age that actually. You know, our paths have crossed and we can support one another and right. collaborate. And you have the school of thought, Julie, um, that you are you, you're Julie, and every situation your behaviour is always the same? Or do you actively find yourself thinking, OK, I've got to act a bit differently in this situation, maybe in the boardroom at NatWest to, oh, uh, yes. to out, on the, out on the ground? 100%. And, uh, and, and not just in the boardroom. You know, I find myself in influencing circles with media, with government, and there are times where you, you need to talk about politics, business case, and it's all very serious. And then actually there are times when you really want to um, understand what it's like for those business owners we're supporting, those challenges out there. And you, you need to just get in the community and work alongside people people and uh you know and connect them to mm. uh, all of the fantastic organizations out there that we work with right and you really do and i've seen it firsthand yeah. is it difficult to be outspoken in a large organization it's getting better ah. and it depends on the leaders you know there have been times where it's been very difficult but i've got to say um we we in in um in netwest we really encourage um our employees to you know to talk to the line managers we have lots of um, social opportunities to really share their thoughts and we want them to be innovative and we want those ideas to come from the staff as well as people we work with externally. Right, and there's a particular leader I'm going to come on to shortly. But Izzy, you've got me thinking about your TEDx talk. If I encourage you to boil it down into uh, into less than a minute, what was the thrust of it? Oh, and what yes. was the main, was there a main message? There was a main message. So um, it focused on the future of entrepreneurship yeah. in Africa specifically. So uh, the argument I made was that the in terms of international development and economic growth on the continent uh, for too long, it's been dominated by three key players. So you've got your international aid organisations, you've got your politicians who are fairly out of touch and you've got your well-meaning activists, you know, your live aids, etc. Um, thanks to technology and sort of more individuals having access to a global community, young people now have the opportunity to take the reins of Africa's development. And um, I argued that there were three types of young people in particular who could do it. Uh, you had your globalist, a young person who might not be from the continent, maybe from the UK or the US, etc., uh, who's passionate about global development. Uh, you had your repat or your returnee, someone like me who might have been born outside of the continent, um, but who understands uh, the context there as well as the context here. Where were you born, just remind us? Um, I was born in Walthamstow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you have your afropreneur, so your entrepreneur who's kind of hustling despite major challenges, including infrastructure and support. Yeah. So what happens when you bring those three 
players together, you get a fantastic ecosystem who together can actually create a very exciting digitally enabled economy. Phenomenal. Um, And actually, an an obsession of uh, mine and many listeners is how those communities get get supported so we ought to uh, we ought to touch on that founder vine this was the yes. culmination <laughs> of a lot of your passions uh, g- give us the uh, give us the lowdown on that yeah so when i was at kpmg i was working in the talent development space hence the masters in um, human resource management so working with corporates to build learning programs uh, helping think through career pathways for uh, particularly millennial employees early career employees um, and i was also uh, mentoring entrepreneurs on the side and I figured what if you could apply the same level of rigor to startup education Mm. as you did to corporate education and the challenging thing about startups and I'm sure you see it as well um, is that when you're at idea stage or your pre-idea stage um, it's very tough um, and most of us will fall there's a graveyard of ideas out there um, that weren't ever actioned so uh, Foundervine actually runs uh, pre-idea and idea stage acceleration programs to help people take their first steps into enterprise and build that pipeline. I see so you apply to join the program? Yes yeah, so you apply to join the program um, and it's targeted at uh, women and minority aspiring founders in particular but open to all and it's a very simple application process Fantastic. Yes. and if you had to boil down the most helpful thing you think you've done for a founder what would be the last thing that you would lose from what you currently add uh, the confidence to oh. taking your first steps um, I think too often we uh, there's a lot of insecurity that comes from starting up particularly if you don't see role models in your community who are business owners and who have been successful Um, and often what we think is uh, a problem in you know building a business model or a pitch deck is actually confidence um, and self-esteem so that's a huge part of our programs actually connecting people to people who resonate with their lived experience Mm -hmm. um, and also providing them with the soft skills that they need to uh, become business owners as well. So how in practice, because I'm sure somebody listening will be agreeing that confidence matters enormously, how in practice do you build confidence? What have you learned? Yeah, so uh, good question. So the way I see it is uh, when it comes to enterprise and entrepreneurship education, you've got um, at the much broader level enterprise skills or core skills that every young person should have, uh, public speaking, uh, problem solving, strategy, etc. And then you come down one level and then you have that employability piece. So how do you lead a successful career in any sector? And then you come down a little bit more and that's entrepreneurship, the specific set of skills you need to start a business one day. And we definitely start from the outside and work in. So when we're designing programs, we're thinking, how do we make them better public speakers? How do we help them um, you know, design presentations? How do we connect them to networks and help them in that networking support? And then we bring it down to every level so the goal of the program isn't to start a business it's to build the skills that you need to lead a career yeah that you enjoy i understand so that theory says that by polishing skills there is a knock-on effect to confidence absolutely and what if i was to play back to you that i know a number of people who are very well skilled and yet their confidence boils down to the way they feel about themselves are there any other techniques aside from building skills that you have seen build confidence i'm sorry to dwell on it but it does come up again and i'm looking for practical thoughts uh, and julie p- please do chip in but izzy yeah i'd say um it's complex and one of the most important things we can do is actually connect people to uh, people who 
understand their lived experience and who represent who they are so often in our sessions we have mentors who are from the communities that we're supporting and that in itself gives you the confidence to say that person did it and so I can do it Um, and also being in an environment in which uh, people are similarly motivated and come from similar backgrounds to you uh, unlike you know the kind of wider startup ecosystem at times um, that does a whole lot in terms of building confidence absolutely yeah. and Alison we might come on uh, forgive me Alison I'm jumping because I'm thinking I know of what you're going to ask uh, yes, Julie yes. I'm thinking of Alison Rose you uh, are, yes. your, uh, your current deputy chief executive who was asked to write what became the Alison Rose review particularly on female entrepreneurship she, she was and it was a really exciting and busy last three months of 2018 where uh, we worked as a team uh, not just doing new research we actually looked at 50 previous um, reports um, from um, confident members uh, of the society like the FSB Deloitte that had done um, substantial research and um, analysed all of those. We did deep dives on five other countries um, America, Canada, Australia, Sweden Netherlands because we deemed them to be best in class when you looked at the support they give to female entrepreneurs. Uh, We interviewed 150 key influencers because there's lots of people doing some really good work in this space and of course then we went out to the entrepreneurs and uh, we interviewed 5,000 many in our accelerator hubs and we do have 12 accelerator hubs around the country um, where we have 50% female um, population. So when we talk to the female entrepreneurs in the hubs, and most of these are early stages or seeking to grow their business, they talked a lot about confidence. And it didn't always come out with that that word. It could be lack of self-assurance. But the one thing, the one common theme that kept coming out was they needed somebody to talk to, whether it was a mentor, a sponsor, a member of their family, to say, yes, you're doing the right thing, or yes, that sounds good, to bounce those ideas off. And and that is why um, so many females come into our accelerator hubs, because they get that support. Even if it's from one another, it doesn't have to be the mentor, the you know, the development managers there to support them. So really useful. No, really helpful. And just give us a sense from your perspective, NatWest, you are in a great place to... Um, to convene this sort of stuff. Just just give us a sense of scale. I mean, I know you're 33,000 plus employees, but just give us a sense of who you look after because you're in quite a prime position there, right? Yes, well, we, you know, we, we know there's over 5 million businesses in the UK and we know almost a million bank with um, the RBS group. Um, but we also know only a very small percentage, probably around about 20% of those are female entrepreneurs. And actually that quite sort of mirrors the uh, the national stats because we know even though 51% of the population are females when it comes to business and particularly female entrepreneurs, it's closer to 20%. And that is exactly why we wanted to, um, or HM Treasury asked Alison to uh, to undertake the research and it was really um, positive, positively launched on International Women's Day this year when we talked about the five barriers, which were no surprise to anybody because we knew they wouldn't be because they'd been in all the research, but we confirmed what they were, um, which were the, and, and none of them will be a surprise, things like access to finance and awareness of finance, where to go. Um, caring responsibility is a huge challenge for females. Most caring tends to fit with females, whether it's the children or the elderly. Um, access to the right networks, access to the, the right role models and relatable role models. And, and looking back to when I started in business um, and looking after sort of business SME customers 17, 18 years ago, the only role model out there was Anita Roddick. Mm. And we're in such a better place today. But so important to keep, one, profiling them, and two, making them 
approachable and relatable to well, the other entrepreneurs out there exactly to, to instill the confidence and belief. Yeah. So, so we will link to the Alison Rose review. Three things I took from it. Firstly, the number of women starting a business, as you've already hinted at, much, yes. much smaller than men. The number of women who establish a business and grow it to a million plus, significantly smaller yes, than their male yes, counterparts. Yeah. And finally, just this frankly shocking small amount of money going into all female founded businesses, one percent. Yes, from the VC VC funds, which mm. which, you know, was quite shocking. And that report came out just before the Rose Review was launched. But certainly what we're looking to gain out of the Rose Review interventions is a collaboration. So we're now working not just with UK finance and the other banks, um, looking at our banking code so that we can all support releasing our data with a gender lens on. Oh that's intriguing. So yes. I don't know if we're um I don't know if we're under embargo on that but get, give us a sense of it because 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 these small nudges on reporting I, I, I can't share too much yeah. other than um there will be a launch on the 16th of july now when this is released it'll probably be post the 16th of july yeah. so you will find out more than what i can tell you now okay but but what will happen is um we are going to be transparent as a banking industry as financial institutions as to what finance goes to females now this is really interesting because it sounds to me like it matters what gets measured. Yeah, it absolutely does, Ollie. We saw it with the gender pay gap that what gets measured gets done. You know, it's total transparency across the sector and actually peer pressure comes from other institutions to get everybody signed up. And and historically, of course, with the report, uh, it has a number of recommendations. So if I could ask you to just to distill one or two of those. Yes, yes, of course. So, so one will be the banking code, which we've talked about. Um, there's another one around VC funding and we're looking at sending out... Uh, I'm, I'm working with partners as well in this, but a VC fund specifically, initially for female entrepreneurs, but looking at other diverse businesses as well. And and alongside that fund will come support. So we're looking at a time fund for women, but of experienced entrepreneurs that can mentor, sponsor, open up their supply chains and their networks to help the entrepreneurs be more successful, because it isn't just about funding. Um, what is really exciting, we're looking at our products and services. Um, we've looked at um, some products in other countries where, for example, a female entrepreneur, um, while she's away on maternity leave, caring responsibilities, reduced income, they actually give a capital repayment holiday so she can pause her repayment. So oh, well, very innovative. lots of innovative ideas like that coming out, which we're looking at. So maybe their government as collaborator? Yes, yes, absolutely. And and then moving on to the mentoring, the networks, there's a minefield of really good organisations out there. But when you Google how to get support, it, it is a minefield. So we're looking at a one-stop digital stop and we hope to be able to launch something, if not later this year, in the new year. OK, so here comes the dilemma for me and I'll just call it out, which is, look, if I'm here, the format being I'm asking the questions, problem, uh, I might not know the right questions to ask for certain rather obvious reasons. Izzy, Julie, what are the questions we should be asking ourselves and everybody else where the overarching subject is how do we support more women in business to start up, to scale up? What is the key question that we need to ask ourselves? Be as blunt as you like. Well, it depends who you are and what power or influence you have over the situation. So if you are a venture capitalist, you should be asking about, um, you know, the structure of your organisation, who's actually making these decisions. We know that uh, if you are a female entrepreneur, you're more likely to walk out of a conversation with a VC with advice rather than funding. Why is that the case? Um, what education or support are we providing uh, people who ho hold the reins of venture capital uh, to understand the complex 
and diverse needs um, of various types of founders, not just women, but LGBT plus minority, etc. If you are government, you should be asking yourself what support you could be providing at the grassroots level Mm. to not work with, not just work with larger banks, but also community providers who are uh, severely under-resourced in order to to provide support for the people that are approaching them every single day, asking for advice and don't know where to go. So let's pause on that second question. It's a cracking (laughs) question, isn't it? What's your own answer to that question? If we had the Minister for Business and whoever else uh, in the room, what should they be doing? Is there anything that they should just stop wasting their time with? Well, my, my answer would very much be we've identified the barriers to female entrepreneurship. And I think before you can put any interventions into place, you need to fully understand those barriers. And then... And just give us one than, example of that. Yeah, so, so, so one example of that is access to finance. Access to finance is probably the biggest barrier out there that is cited, especially because I'm a banker, you know, when I, I ask what the barriers are. So then we think, okay, so what is the intervention there? How can we help? Well, we can help with information about access in finance. It can be not just traditional bank finance. It could be crowdfunding, all the alternative funders. It could be investment. It could be access to VCs and business angels. Like a sat-nav. Yes, like a sat-nav. Absolutely, like a sat-nav. But let's make it simple and let's make it friendly and let's make it informative. So part of that intervention isn't just providing the finance. It's the information and education behind that. So that actually the female entrepreneur thinks, yes, I do want to invest in my business. Yes, I do know where to go. And they go and do it. Yeah, absolutely. What would you add to that, Izzy? So I, I, I would have a slightly different take on it in that where we focus on um, things like access to finance and access to networks, we're talking about our existing pool of founders, which is already quite small. So uh, I think there's a lot more government and industry could be doing in terms of building the access points into entrepreneurship. So investing in the enterprise education we need to take young people who... Uh, wouldn't necessarily consider a career in entrepreneurship. And the challenge we have is that there's all these bright young minds that see corporates as where you go after university because Mm. of the heavy investment uh, by these companies on campuses, in schools. Yet they don't see entrepreneurship as a viable option. And a lot of, uh, you know, communities uh, still have very very um, maybe outdated ideas about what is a meaningful career. So there's a lot of education that needs to take place in schools and universities to build the pipeline so we have a bigger pool of people to fund and provide support to. Yeah, I I totally endorse that. And and again, it's another Rose Review intervention where we look at what support is given in schools. And I know in some areas they're looking at the curriculum. You know, why isn't enterprise entrepreneurship on the curriculum? Uh, and, but what we are starting to see is those schools that do have programmes and, you know, I've, I've worked at NetWest with Centre for Entrepreneurs on the Young Enterprise Scheme. And there's some fantastic examples of entrepreneurship Um been taught and you know experienced in schools but not enough and particularly not with with girls and and particularly when they tend to lose the stem or leave the stem subjects behind and Alison is really passionate about this and does um put together a a package called Dream Bigger, which we've already run out to about 100 pupils to test and we're going to run out to another 600 by the end of the year. But it is exactly that. It's giving that a little bit of education and support and enabling them to experience what's it like to be an entrepreneur. Mm. And that includes pitching and some excitement about positive mindset and growth as well. And just fueling that aspiration as well. Yes, yes, yes. So, Julie, let's pause there briefly because I just wanted to ask a couple of slightly more personal questions because, after all, 
you've been at that worst. I hope you don't mind me saying since 1982. I have, yes. Okay. Now um, you seem incredibly sparky and energetic. <laughs> <laughs> so you because clearly, I love what I do. You yes, clearly enjoy yes, it. Yes. Um, I wonder whether long-standing careers within large organisations are a thing of the past. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I've, I talk to my children about this. And uh, yeah, it's very unlikely that the generation beneath me will have a 37-year you know, career in any organisation. But we've got to remember, when I joined National Westminster Bank, as it was, and then we merged with Royal Bank of Scotland, you know, it's 140,000 employees across the globe. It wasn't just UK-centric. And I've been fortunate enough to, to work in the Midlands, to work in the Channel Islands, to work down south, to work in London, done lots of exciting projects, looked after lots of really interesting customers, um, mainly in the business up to corporate space, but um, I had a stint in branches as well many, many, many years ago. And, uh, and of course, the last five years, Ollie, you know I've been in this enterprise space, which I absolutely You have. I think you I might enjoy. have a claim. Yes. I see you out and about everywhere. Um, I'm going to do a super quick fire because a lot of people that listen to The Lens, Julia, are considering their own roles and careers within large organisations. Question one, somebody's thinking, um, I'm not currently happy in my job. And yet I don't want to leave the organisation. I need to get a sense of what else might be available for me in the organisation. Maybe I don't feel comfortable talking to my boss, my line manager. Any tips for them? Yeah, ab absolutely. And certainly within our organisations, but I know a lot of corporates are exactly the same. Um, we have careers days. You, It's all digital now. It makes it easy. You internally, don't have to you go internally. Oh. But but also, you know, externally as well, there's never been a better time to, you know, to to change career and get information on what else is happening out there. But, but the one thing I, I, I would say is, you know, always have a mentor or some else you can talk to mm. don't always keep the same one you need different mentors different sponsors at different time of the journey but do reach out don't you know because you are the only person that can make that difference okay here's the challenge then too many people will say oh, i've got this word mentor scribbled on my to-do list it's been there for a year i don't know where to find one i don't seem to have had anyone offer where do i start very good question and i get people probably every week asking me if i will mentor them i right. said can't mentor everybody that asks me that but i can have a career check with you um, and signpost you. A career and chat. What a was career that? chat. A chat. So sorry, we have thing. thirty minutes coffee, quite punchy. They have to tell me what they're looking for, and then I signpost them to somebody else, possibly somebody I've had a career chat with before, and and they can connect with each other, oh, like or to another leader in the business that actually will be better for them. Brilliant. Um, or to somebody externally, because I work with so many external organisations, or I get them involved with networks, because you know there's there's not when I think back to my career, it was when I started working with the LEPs, the growth hubs, the external networks that I really started to spark and grow. Yeah, You seem to yeah. really love supporting other people. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that is um, that is what I set out to do every day, is make yeah. a difference. It does It does actually really come yeah. across. Next quick fire question for you, Julie. Um, somebody, not at NatWest, uh, somebody's struggling <laughs> because they don't feel they're being sufficiently remunerated Ooh. for the work they're doing, and we need to equip them like special forces with the tools to do something about it. What would you say to them? Ooh, that is a, that is a really interesting one because, you know, when I get asked that question, if you were to do something differently, what would you do? I would say negotiate better, particularly my salary. Um, I was perfectly happy until probably three or four years ago when it all started coming out about the gender pay gap, and then I thought, well, I'm guilty of being one of those people females that hasn't negotiated. But when I'm talking to female entrepreneurs um, and they say to me that they won a contract and you're almost celebrating and then they say, I say, how did you win it? And they say, well, we undercut. 
I just, my heart sinks because we've got to be confident. We've got to value ourselves and we've got to learn those negotiation skills and be prepared to negotiate and okay. sometimes be prepared to walk away as well. Okay. And in, in, in part, that sounds like it's about mindset. How about an even more practical tip around something you've seen works in terms of coming out of that conversation victorious? Because I do hear it again and again. Yeah. Uh, well, interesting one. I don't know. Let me think about that one. Okay. Well, we might come back to yeah. it. I mean, it does seem to me some of these practical chats, Izzy, about how to negotiate. Here's a couple of quick fire ones for you, Izzy. Go on. Um, somebody's on the fence about whether they should or shouldn't take the plunge with starting a business. Yes. It's such a personal question. What advice do you have for them? Uh, what advice would I have for them? It really depends what position they're currently in, um, what impact it's going to have on their life. Um, if they're a young person, um, sort of pre-mortgage, pre-baby, um, I'd probably advise them going ahead and taking the plunge. Um uh, I do a lot of coaching and often it's so specific to your circumstances. It's difficult mm. to say. And I'm not, I'm not angling for a do it or don't do it question, more a here's a couple of thoughts on how to arrive at your own answer, I suppose. Because ah. yes. you'll yeah. always have people around you who try to put you off. Yes, and yeah, who yeah. On, and, right. we, and we see that in our in, in our hubs, and and a very big part of that is we, you know, I I would actually say, okay, so let's sit down, and whether it's a business plan or whether it's a you know business model canvas all on one page, a bit of mind mapping, you know, let's actually sit down. You know, you say you want to run a business, but actually, what does that look like? You know, what are your aspirations in life? How's one going to get to the other? How are you going to make it sustainable? And and start asking those questions and then you know who's your competition what market research all those things that are out there um because i think unless they've really done that they're not serious about starting agreed. their business so they need some guidance really agreed so, I, yeah. I find people uh, fall into two broad categories as someone who's you know really passionate about a particular thing a product and is looking for a way to commercialize it but doesn't have that background um or people who just want to start a business um but when you dig into the detail of what they're trying to offer they haven't quite got there in their thinking um and so there's a lot of questions around what the real motivations are and using ah. tools like you know your business model canvas to really assess all aspects of the business and then at the end of that conversation if you have something if you're onto something going ahead right so this is a very powerful technique the business model canvas a big one pager to map out all of these things here's an idea i'd like to know what you make of it somebody might say well i know what i'll do i'll keep my job and I'll have a side hustle. Oh, happens uh, a lot. Okay, well, well, should we be telling you about that, Julie? Do you approve do you, of side I, hustles? I, I do. I approve of side hustles. I won't name the person, but yesterday I met somebody who had a side hustle and also working for the bank, and I'm really excited about it. Ah, so you don't take a dim view? Oh, not at all. But not what would at you all. say? You you might have some cautionary advice if they want to keep wow. thriving in the bank. It's really interesting because we we were on um, six women in business accreditation sessions a year for our relationship managers, which gives them the knowledge of um, the additional barriers that female entrepreneurs face and also how to provide tailored support. Mm. But the first question we ask when we have all of those relationship managers in a room is how many of you have actually run a business or are thinking of running a business? And we probably have 40 in the room and normally a couple will say, I'm running a business. Ah. And so it's, it's more common than you think. Um, if it doesn't impinge on bank life then okay if they want to scale and grow and get investment i mean there are very few vcs out there i don't think would want you 
running a full-time job and a business. I think you'd have to throw into your business full-time if you're going to get investment. And Izzy, how do you approach the side hustler? Yeah, so I'm I'm a huge fan of the side hustle um, and we, we've we run events on how to balance side hustle with you know your main hustle. Um, I uh, only went full-time on Foundervine two weeks ago. Um, wow, so gosh, that's <laughs> For the entire time it's existed, yeah. um, I've been working full-time. Yeah. So it has been completely off the side of my desk in the evenings, on the weekends. I have a very, very um, understanding husband and um, it's only just got to the point where it's completely unsustainable um, to do both at the same time. So focusing on it now and I have a lot of friends who are working in corporate, working in whatever space they're in and who are thinking, okay, so how do I actually balance that? A lot of them don't feel comfortable talking to their employer about what they're doing. I get it. I get it. And not everyone has a has a Julie Baker that they can yeah. uh, riff off as well. Do you think there's any difference at all in the way the different generations approach enterprise, approach entrepreneurship? Oh, I'll let you do this. Uh, okay. you? <laughs> yes, but, but I think there's a bit of a um, an exciting sort of sandwich effect um, coming coming to light. So, so yes, I, I think the youngsters um, that we see the where were we Gen Xs and certainly the Gen Zs are very entrepreneurial. They've been brought up in the digital world. Mm, more and, entrepreneurial than their parents or grandparents. Yes. However, what we're seeing, and and I had a conversation with somebody um, this morning around this, is the 55 pluses. So those that have had the corporate career, left it, got money in their pocket. They've still got the energy and enthusiasm and the ideas and they and they're setting up in business and actually they're more likely to be successful it. yes they are mm. so so we need to make sure when we're thinking about all of this support and you know opening up our networks that we include those because they're really important right. for the reasons you just stated so how do you see it Izzy? absolutely so what's really interesting about um our programs is that so we target 18 to 30 year olds but every program we run we have people on either side of that and they're absolutely welcome so we had a program um, not too far back with Monzo Bank and we had a 16 year old doing her A-levels and we had a 45 year old father of three Um, and they weren't in the same team but I saw the dynamic and the fantastic uh, dynamic you get when you're on an acceleration program and there's people of different generations different cultural backgrounds and they're building together and there's something really magic about that um the 16 year old has decided to co-found a startup um, and is seeking investment at the moment it's brilliant mm. i'd love to see examples of yeah. intergenerational co-founders yeah. as well i bet yes. there are yeah, yeah. We, we saw a great example in our bristol accelerator hub where a retired teacher had this amazing idea um, of a game, but teaching mathematics to mm. children, and it was quite fun. But of course, nobody buys board games now. It's all on a, you mm. know, it's on a, a, a tablet. So in the same hub, we had a very young um, app builder. You know, was helping the fifty-five year plus year old teacher digitize this game. I love it like a and reverse together, mentor. Yeah, absolutely. And and they needed each other. Yeah. And so I think we'll see more of that. Very interesting. Well, uh, I've got so many more uh, things that I want to um, ask you both, actually. But I'm going to do some quickfire questions again, which I ask all of our guests. Uh, so this is going to be uh, sort of zipping through these. Uh, I ask everyone who they want to meet for coffee. Uh, they've got to be alive. Izzy, who do you meet? <laughs> Can I have more than one? 
Well, why not? Um, I think someone who is uh, immediately um, in, in the startup space that I would love to meet is Emma Jones. Emma Jones, right. Yes. Done, co-founder of Startup Britain. Yes. Um, Founder of Enterprise Nation. Enterprise Nation um, have been kind of in my, my life in various ways um, for the last couple of years. And I think what she's done has been absolutely fantastic. Okay, noted, Emma. Yeah. Email coming your way. <laughs> Next. Um, someone slightly further removed uh, is Michelle Obama, mm-hmm. who has been a hero of mine for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and I'd absolutely love to... What would you ask coffee. her? What, one thing would I ask her? Mm. Gosh, um... You mean after I, you know, choked from shock <laughs> that I'm in? Um, so what would I ask her? Uh, come back to me on that one. Come back to me on that one. I, I there's so many questions I'd want to ask in terms of her advocacy for young women, in terms of her work trying to, uh, you know, bridge communities, um, her career. You know, what advice would she give a young woman starting today who is interested in? Going into politics, I studied politics. I know. Um, yes. uh, what advice would she give a young black woman considering going into politics? Yeah. yeah. That makes me think that politics might be in your future. Never say never. Right. Okay, watch this face. Julie, who would you like to meet? I'm going to go for two as well. And you can definitely help with one of these. One of them is you, Ollie, because we've known each other a long time and we've never, ever sat down for coffee. <laughs> that's very easy. So that's easy. Uh, the second one is Michael Sheen. And Michael, Michael Sheen, Sheen does a lot in the social enterprise space. Welsh and actor. I, yeah. Award-winning play, Tony Absolutely, Blair, yeah. Frost. Brian and Huff. yeah, great actor. And I, I missed him at the World Social Enterprise Forum. He was due to come there and for whatever reason, he couldn't make it. So I, it's one of those people that is overdue and need to catch up with him because right. I love the work he's doing. And right. I'm sure I've there's got, a, I've got a tip together. for him. He's a big supporter of the Inclusive Economy Ooh. Partnerships. So, okay. uh, co-chaired by yeah. uh, yeah. Sasha Romanovich. Yes, so, uh, yeah. We can yeah. talk about that. Okay, cool. Uh, on your bookshelf... Uh, a book worthy of a wider audience, and it doesn't have to be a business book, by the way. Good, because <laughs> I don't read too many. I listen to them. Um, Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Um, it's a fantastic uh, novel about the immigrant experience in America, and I think it's one of those insights that everyone should read in order to understand uh, how people feel when they enter you know, countries like the US and the UK, particularly in the current economic and political climate. Brilliant. Mm. Well, we will link to that. Thank you, Izzy. Julie? I'm going to go for To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, happily. Yeah, well, I I read that book as a child and I saw it again recently when I was away on a mini weekend break. It was on the bookshelf and I reread it. And how different reading it as an adult to when I was at school. Very interesting. And and particularly, you know, there's such meaningful messages, deep messages in that book. Yes. You know, about the divide in society, about racial discrimination, but also about being seen through the eyes of a child. And it just makes you reflect thinking we're moved forward in some ways, but actually in some communities we're still like we ever were. So really enjoyed it. That has inspired me, Judy. I think certain books, like certain people, probably should be revisited. Yeah, I, I, I agree. At, at different stages of your life. But I've got to say, in this new world of um, blogs, there is a blog that I'm addicted to at the moment that I read on the train every morning. What Am I allowed it? to share that as well? Of course, I'm Go happy on. someone's mentioning blogs. Chris Skinner, have you oh, read the, no. seen his blog? What is it? It's, it's a fintech blog. And he's, he's, he's just hilarious, but it's really good. He talks about the latest sort of fintech initiatives. You'll love well, it, Ollie. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's link to that. That's good. Right. Um, OK, final question. Uh, a piece of advice to your uh, former self and take us back to wherever you like uh, in your career or life what would you say? I would tell my former self let's let's say my 17 year old self who's now thinking about work and careers uh, 
I would tell her not to be so intimidated by people and everyone is, um, you know, an imposter in some way. And we all have that feeling. Some of us just manage it better than others. Um, it's very easy to be intimidated, particularly in the corporate space. Right. Um, and does an example <laughs> of someone that intimidated you, you don't have to name them, come to mind that had they not intimidated you, you could have made more of the situation. I'm wondering where your mind is going back to. Do you see what I mean? There were numerous instances, particularly when I was sort of growing up and um, I did work experience in Parliament twice and um, a think tank and I did not make the most of it because I was just so overwhelmed, um, had lunch by myself, didn't try and connect with anyone. Um, and I think in, in retrospect, I should have maximised the opportunity and I would have done if I was more confident in my own capabilities. Brilliant advice. Thank you. Izzy. That's fantastic. Julie, what would you say? And where are you t forgive me, where are you taking us to as well? Well, no, it's, it's an interesting one because initially I was going to talk about negotiate better, but we've already covered that. So, so I am going to go with, because I love the role I undertake at the moment, which is a little bit ambassadorial, but um, le leading a team that supports others around the country um, on enterprise and entrepreneurship, particularly those from less privileged areas. And I wouldn't have waited until I was in my 50s to do it. I'd have done it much younger, but I love doing it. I've still got the energy that I can carry it through. I think that's so interesting. Mm. There's a time for giving back and it isn't always further down the line right absolutely you Agreed. can do that and and i see it all the time now and, and, and particularly in our accelerator hubs that you know that people come in for six months 12 months 18 months and those that have been there for 18 months really support those that have been there for six months and and age doesn't necessarily or or generations don't have to come into it love it Excellent. Well, I'm hugely grateful to you both for being uh, our guests on The Lens. Uh, so Julie Baker, Izzy Obeng, thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to The Lens with me, Ollie Barrett. If you like what you heard, please leave us a comment and subscribe to us on iTunes and you'll get the latest episodes as they drop. The Lens is a business in the community programme powered by Fujitsu and supported by McCann. Today's episode is produced and directed by Harvey Winter with music and editing by Giselle Hall. Our executive producer is Sergio Lopez. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>